All right, let's have our Bibles open to Genesis 22. As we continue this morning in our series called Looking to Jesus, uh, trust your worship guides are open to page 28. Let's begin reading this passage, Genesis 22, starting at verse 1 down through to verse 19. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. When our daughter, Caitlin, was in grade one, Stacy got a phone call one morning from the school to confirm that Caitlin was not at school that day, which instantly became a problem because just minutes before getting this phone call, Stacy had just returned home from dropping Caitlin off at the school and walking her straight into her classroom. So right away, the staff at the school kicked it into high gear and they started looking for Caitlin only a few minutes later to find her exactly where she was supposed to be. She was sitting at her desk doing her schoolwork. Turns out that her teacher had marked the wrong student absent that day, which set into motion a flurry of activity that we didn't know what to do. If you're a parent uh, and you've experienced anything like that, you know the horror that comes with a phone call like that. You know the feeling of how your heart drops to the floor and your stomach is instantly tied into a knot. And the reality is you don't even have to be a parent to really know what that feels like. 
We feel a terror in us when we hear that something has happened to a friend or to a loved one and things have changed so quickly and there are no explanations that really satisfy. Sometimes it doesn't even have to be something that happens to somebody else. Sometimes it's just something that happens to us. We hear news from the doctor that we didn't expect. We hear news from our boss that we didn't see coming. We hear news from a friend that we can't explain and things just begin to unravel so quickly and in a way that it makes us wonder if we're ever going to be able to ravel it back together. And if you're able to catch even just a glimpse of any of what that feels like, you may on some level be able to understand a little bit of what Abraham is experiencing here in Genesis 22. The problem with all of that is that on some level, there are other layers of this story in Genesis 22 that we're never, ever going to be able to understand the fullness of what Abraham is thinking, what he is feeling, what he is dealing with here in this passage. I mean, can we just acknowledge right at the very beginning as we begin this morning that this passage, this incident in Genesis 22 is very, very strange. So strange that it has led some people to some very serious, very important questions. For example, why would God ever ask anyone to do anything like this? To be quickly followed by, if God is asking someone to do something like this, then how could I possibly give my life in worship to a God who is asking a father to kill his son in order to prove a greater love for that God? I mean, these are hard questions. These are fair questions. Regardless of whether or not Abraham knew exactly what God was asking him to do, it doesn't change the reality that God commanded and Abraham obeyed, which is why this passage becomes so important for us this morning, because at different times and in different ways, God tests us. And most often during those times of testing within our lives, we don't know exactly what God is wanting to accomplish within us. All we know is that he has brought something into our life that as we go through it, we can't really explain it. And if we're not careful, we can go through that entire experience within our lives and completely miss the point of what God is trying to show us. So while those two questions, how could God do something like this to anyone? And if God is really doing this, then how can I give my life in worship to a God who would do this? While those two questions are not the main purpose of this passage, I do think that we find some hope and we find some clarity regarding those two questions as we make our way through this passage. Because what we need to understand right away is that this is not just a story about how to have faith in God when your life is hard. It is that, and there's many lessons that we can take from that. But if we simply stop there, and that's all that we take from this passage this morning, then we run the risk of completely missing the point of what God is trying to teach us in this story. We run the risk of missing the greater point of this story. And so what I'd like to do for you this morning is show you four threads that are woven all the way through this story. And as we see these, I, I hope you pick up really quickly that these are four threads that really weave a greater story of the entire Bible. So four threads that weave their way through this story. Here's thread number one, the promise of a son. The promise of a son. So last week, we looked at Genesis 15, where God promised that he would make Abraham's descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. 
There was just one problem for Abraham in the midst of all of that, and that was that he was 75 years old. Sarah, his wife, is 65 years old, and Abraham is looking at himself. He's looking at Sarah, who has never been able to have children, and he realizes that the clock is ticking. Time is running out. God has made a promise, and God has yet to come through on the promise that he has made to give him a son who would carry on his family line. And God tells him not to be afraid because one day God will provide for him a son. So since then now, of course, Isaac has been born to Abraham and Sarah. God has come through on his promise to them. In fact, Abraham and Sarah have waited 25 years from the day that God made the promise to them to the day that Isaac was actually born. But now Isaac is born and God will come through on his promise to make a nation that will come from Abraham and God will use Abraham to bless all of humanity after him. The thing is, as you read through this passage in Genesis 22, you can see that the focus here is on the fate of Isaac. One commentator says that the heart of the plot of this story is not primarily about how Abraham handles a time of testing within his life. The plot is whether Isaac lives or dies. I mean, just follow along with me in this passage and notice how many times the word son is used in this passage. You might want to underline it or circle it or highlight it in your Bible just so it sticks out and you can see the emphasis that is placed here in this passage in Genesis 22. Notice how many times the word son is used. Follow with me. Verse 2, take your son, your only son, Isaac. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. Down to verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Verse 7. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Middle of verse 9. Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar. Verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Verse 12, the angel stops Abraham at the last second and says, For now I know you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Middle of verse 13. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Down to verse 16. The angel of the Lord says to Abraham, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. So 13 times, just in those few verses, we are reminded over and over and over again that this is Abraham's son. It is his only son whom he loves. This is the son of the promise that God has made to Abraham to make him a great nation. Blessing will flow from Abraham because God has been faithful to his promise to give him this son. So God makes a covenant with Abraham, which means that he makes a solemn binding promise to him that he will do what he says he will do. God takes full responsibility for both sides of this covenant. And everything we see, everything we read in Genesis 12 and then chapter 15 and then chapter 17 as well, it looks like it's all coming to pass. Looks like God is coming through on the promise that he's made to Abraham to give him this son. And, and we get to the beginning of chapter 22 and we read this and we think to ourselves, all right. Things are moving in the right direction here. It's going the way that it's supposed to go. It's been a long time for Abraham and Sarah. I mean, can you imagine the joy that must have been in their house when Isaac was finally born? Like they're waiting 25 years from the time that God says this is going to happen. Now it finally happens and, and one day Isaac is born and they're like, thanks be to God. 
He has been faithful to us, promised us. He has given us this son. And, and we read this. We get up to chapter 22 and we're like, okay, things are going the way that they're supposed to go. Until we see this next thread. Thread number two is the problem of a father. The problem of a father. Now, this whole episode, as we get into chapter 22, it, it just kind of looks like it comes out of nowhere, which is often how times of testing work in our lives too, isn't it? Look again at how verse 1 begins. After these things, God tested Abraham. So at some point before this, two really important things have just happened, which is why verse 1 begins the way that it does. So the first thing that's happened in chapter 21, obviously Isaac has been born. So after years of waiting, God has come through and has promised to Abraham and Sarah. The second thing that happens is that Hagar and Ishmael have been sent to wander in the wilderness. So keep in mind, Ishmael is the son that Abraham had with Hagar. Hagar is Sarah's Egyptian servant. So now, Hagar and Ishmael are sent away into the wilderness, never to be seen again, which only intensifies the reality of this test that Abraham is in right now because Isaac now is his only son. There is no one else. Isaac is it. And now God comes to Abraham to test him. Look again, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So God comes and he tests Abraham, and Abraham says in verse 1, here I am. Now, you need to know that in the original language, that's not just a Hebrew, hey, how's it going? Like, it's not just a, here I am, how you doing? It's not that at all. In fact, this here is a military term that suggests, here I am. I stand ready to do whatever you want me to do. Wherever you want me to go, just send me and I'll go. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And God then tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Now, I don't want to be unnecessarily gruesome, but I do want you to see and try and feel the problem of the father. So when God comes to Abraham and tells him to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham knew exactly what a burnt offering was. He knew what God was asking him to do. Because when the Israelites would offer a burnt offering, they would take the animal and they would cut the animal's throat. And then they would dismember the animal completely. And then they would burn the animal so thoroughly that by the time the fire was out, it was almost as if there was no evidence left that the animal had ever lived. Like there was nothing left of the sacrifice. And that appears to be what God is now asking Abraham to do with Isaac. It would almost be like Sarah never gave birth to him. By the time it was over, it would almost be as if Abraham and Sarah never had a son named Isaac. It would be so thorough, so complete, so gone. And every single part of this, as we read Genesis 22, goes against all of our modern sensibilities, doesn't it? Like, like just think for a second, what would happen if we heard a story like this today? What would happen if we heard a story about a dad who tried to do something like this with his own son? 
mean, we would scream for justice, and rightfully so, because something like this would be absolutely unthinkable. But then this father goes into a court of law before a judge and jury of his peers, and he claims his only defense is that a voice from heaven told him to do it. And so by the time everything is done, he walks away scot-free. We would be outraged by that, and rightfully so. So you've got to understand that when we read Genesis 22, we have to see what's at stake here. Like not only is this horribly gruesome to consider what God is asking Abraham to do here, but we need to understand that if Isaac dies on the altar, it is as if the promise of God is going to die with him. If Isaac dies like this, then there is no people, there is no nation, there is no land, there is no blessing. But now, Abraham has a decision to make because just moments before, God came to him and he said to God, here I am. Here I am, God. Whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, God, I'm yours. So we have to see here what's at stake. God is not simply asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. God is coming to Abraham and demanding that Abraham lay down his entire future on the altar before God. It's like, Abraham, everything that you're hoping your future will be. Abraham, everything that you're holding on to, to lock down the future that you think is coming for you, I want you to be willing to sacrifice all of that so that you can walk in obedience to me. I mean, think about this. What is Abraham supposed to do right now? He has just told God that he would do whatever he says, that he will go wherever he sends. But he had no idea that God would ever ask this. Isn't this the way it often happens in our life too? Isn't this the way times of testing and trial come to us? The thing is, this, this could apply in an ocean full of ways across the lives of every person in this room right now. But let's think for a minute about how this applies to us as a church. Let's think for a minute about how this applies to us, particularly in our move to a new facility. God has been so good to answer our prayers and provide a place for us to go while construction happens here in this building. And I'm so aware of how intimidating and maybe even a little bit frightening that a move to a new place can be, especially when we get very comfortable with where we are and the way that things are going already, and yet at the same time we come up to this move and we find that God is pushing us into new territory where we've never been before. Starting a third service and you keep hearing in our announcements and again this morning that the Lord is opening up a number of different ways and a number of different possibilities for people to serve in different places. And you could be among the people who are sitting here right now and you're just thinking to yourself, you know what? I don't even know where to begin. Like, I don't know where to serve. I'm not even sure that I have really anything to offer. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking that and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, can I just encourage you right now that as a follower of Jesus Christ, God has been gracious to you and has given you the Holy Spirit to live within you. And because the Holy Spirit lives in you, you have something to offer. You have a place in this church. At the same time, there's others of you who might even be sitting here right now and you're just thinking to yourself, you know what? I, I hear what you're saying. I know that there's places that people need to serve, but the reality is I've grown kind of comfortable in my routine of just coming to church and, and just receiving everything that everybody else is doing, and it looks like everything else is taken care of, and, and I'm not really needed. If that's where you are this morning, can I just say to you in love, because I care about you and because 
I know there's so many of you who care so much about this church. Can I just say to you that if you're thinking that right now, that you've become so comfortable in your routine and you're not really plugged in or engaged anywhere, that needs to change. It needs to change. You say, well, what do you mean it needs to change? Like, why is it such a big deal? Why is it so important that it needs to change? Well, here's why it's such a big deal. Because God, in his grace, has come to you. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've given your life to him, then God has poured out his grace upon you. God has lavished his mercy upon you and upon me in ways that we will never fully understand. God has been so kind to come to you and to me. And in the process, he has given us the Holy Spirit to live within us. And when the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, not only does he seal our salvation, but he also gives us gifts to use. And there's two purposes, two primary purposes of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us to use. One is that we will glorify God through those gifts in everything that we do. But the second reason is that we will build up the local church. We will build up the body of Christ in which he has placed us. So if God has given you his grace in this way and he has come to you, he has given you the Holy Spirit who has gifted you sovereignly, perfectly, knowing exactly who you are, exactly the way that God has made you, exactly the way that God has wired you to serve and to plug into the life of this church, then it is incumbent upon us to make sure that we're doing that. That's our response to his grace. So if you're at a place where you're calling this church your home and you've grown really comfortable in just coming every weekend and sitting on the sidelines but never really suiting up to playing the game, that needs to change. And please hear me. I, I'm not trying to guilt anyone into doing anything. Please hear my heart in this. I'm, if, if you feel guilted into this or if you feel intimidated to do something like this in response to this, then, then don't do it. Like, if that's where your heart is, then just don't do it. And, and my heart is not at all to guilt you or to try and intimidate you into doing anything. But what I am saying here is that we find ourselves right now as a church family in a place where God is asking us to do some things, and we don't know exactly how it's going to go. We don't know exactly how this is going to end up or how we're going to get there. But what we do know is that we as elders and as a church are coming before God, and we are saying, here we are, God. Like, use us. Tell us what you want us to do. Send us where you want us to go. Here we are, God. Take our lives and let them be consecrated, Lord, to thee. God is calling us to lay down our fear. He's calling us to lay down our desire to be comfortable, to lay down our false senses of security. And he may even be calling you individually right now to lay down what you think your future is so that you can walk in obedience to him. And why does he do that? Like, why does God keep coming after us? Why does he keep pursuing us? Why does he keep wanting us so much to do this? Because I'm convinced that there is blessing that not only comes from obeying him, I'm convinced that there is a fullness of joy that fills our hearts as we stay close to him, as we do what he wants us to do. Now, if this test itself is not enough, Abraham has a lot of time to think about what God's telling him. Take a look at verse 3. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning. So just catch this. He's had all night to think about what God has just said to him about Isaac. And then verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. So another three days have passed for him to turn it over in his head and maybe to try and find a way out. And 
eventually Isaac picks up on this and he begins to wonder where the animal is for the sacrifice. And then notice how Abraham responds in verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And this right here. This is why we can stand before God as a church. This is why you can stand before God individually and you can say, here we are, God. Here I am, God. Here's my life. I lay it down before you. Here's my future. I lay it down before you. Here's my worship. I lay it all down before you. We stand ready to go where you want us to go and to do what you're telling us to do. Here we are, God. We do it because we have the assurance that the Lord will provide. I mean, parents, notice this. Moms and dads, notice how Abraham talks to his son about what's going on. Our greatest hope, especially when we don't have the answers to our biggest questions, is to turn our children's attention to the God who will provide. And then to pray that God uses the times of confusion and uncertainty within our life to draw our children's attention to the reality of how good and how glorious God really is. Take a look again at verse 8 and and notice this. Notice for whom God will provide. Who does God provide for? He provides for himself. I mean, this is amazing. Like, it's not that he first and foremost provides for Abraham and Isaac in the middle of their need. Did he provide for their needs? Yes, and amen, absolutely. God provided for their needs in very powerful ways. But first and foremost, God provides for himself. You say, well, what do you mean? What I mean is that when God provides for us through times of testing within our life, it's not just for the sake of giving us what we need. What we're saying here is that God's greatest concern is for God's highest glory. God's greatest concern is for God's highest glory. See, listen, God loves you. Do you know that? Like God loves you. He cares about you so much and he can meet the needs that we have within our life in an infinite number of ways that we will never be able to fully understand. But God's greatest concern in the midst of our needs is his greatest glory within our life. His highest pleasure comes from us realizing that only he is able to give us what we need. So God provides for himself so that through the provision of our needs, our attention then is turned to God and none of the credit goes to us. None of the glory goes to us. It goes to God and to God alone. And so we read this and we think to ourselves, well, if that's God's greatest concern, his highest glory, then why is this going like it is for Abraham right now? Because this looks totally lost, which leads us then to the third thread. Thread number three, the provision of a substitute. The provision of a substitute. So Abraham straps Isaac to the altar. He's holding the knife to his throat. He is ready to do what God told him to do. And then we read verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now, this is really interesting to me because despite having all of this time to think about this and to get out of this, Abraham is still walking with God still walking in the direction that God told him to walk. And he's trusting that God is going to make a way. And that's what is wrapped up in that phrase in verse 12 that says that Abraham feared God. 
We've talked about this before, that, that fear is, is not just something uh, that we're afraid of or that we're intimidated by, although it can include that. But this fear is the kind of faith that compels a person to take the ultimate risk. This fear is the kind of faith that compels a person to take the ultimate risk. It's the kind of faith that pushes a person to put everything on the line. Think about it for a minute. Why would a person do that? Why would we do that? Why could we do that? You can do that because you know the person who you're putting your faith in. And Abraham knew that. In fact, we can see layers of this in this passage. If you dig into this passage a little bit more, maybe you do that in your small group this week, you can see that there's a couple of different names that are used for God here in this passage. So he's the same God, but he's revealing different parts of his character for us to see. So for example, in verses 1 through 10, the name for God is Elohim. So that means that God is the creator of all things. He is sustainer. He is sovereign over everything that he has made. Okay, so he is Elohim. But then in verse 11, there's a different name. Now, verse 11 is right where Abraham has the knife at Isaac's throat, and this looks to be over. Verse 11 says that the angel of the Lord called out to him. The angel of the Lord is the name Yahweh. So he goes from Elohim to Yahweh. Again, same God, different parts of his character that are being revealed for us to see. So anytime you see the name angel of the Lord there through the rest of that passage, it's referring to Yahweh. And right after Yahweh tells Abraham to stop, verse 13 says that Abraham looked up and behold. I love that word. You see that word so many times in the Bible, behold. Like I love that our women's conference just a few weeks ago here was called that, behold. It's like, look, like notice this. Like, you can't miss this. You've got to see this. Like, pay attention to this because it's like all of a sudden, at just the right time, it's like, boom, there's a ram caught in the thicket right behind them. So Yahweh now does this for Abraham. And do you know what the name Yahweh means? It's the name of the God who keeps his covenant with his people. It's the name of the God who keeps his covenant with his people. This is the promise-making, covenant-keeping God who loves his people, who is in relationship with the people that he loves so much. So don't miss what's happening here. At just the right time, this promise-making, covenant-keeping God remembers his promise and he provides for his people, which is revealed then in the third name of God that we see in this passage. Skip down to verse 14. Verse 14, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, the name of God in verse 14 is Jehovah Jireh. Again, same God, revealing different parts of his character for us to see. Now, Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will see and provide. And isn't it true that We all have places within our lives, if we look back far enough, that we could look back to that incident and that incident, and we could name those places the Lord provided. Like We can look back 
to a marriage that was broken. We can look back to the prayers that were prayed for children and then one day God gave us a child. We can look back to the prayers that have been prayed for children, but those prayers haven't been answered yet in the ways that we've wanted them to be and yet we know on some level that God has answered a different prayer and given us a greater blessing in the midst of that. We can look back to the financial concerns, to the health problems, to all of the things that we have been through and we can look at those things and know that the Lord has provided. We can name our own place like that. I mean, just think about some of the things that you might be going through right now. Maybe you're going through a health crisis or you're afraid of a future that you can't control or, or maybe you're in the same position as Abraham is right here. It's been a couple of days or a couple of months or maybe even a couple of years since God sovereignly allowed something to enter into your life and you've been waiting for the answers to come but they still haven't come and you feel a little bit like Abraham. You're still walking through this wilderness trying to find the place where God is taking you. And How do you keep going when you don't have all the answers? Like, How do you keep putting one step in front of the other, in front of the other, in front of the other, trying to understand where it is that God is taking you? Because deep down inside, like if we're gut level honest with each other, isn't that what we all want? Like as followers of Jesus, if we love Jesus and we have surrendered our lives to him in some form or another, we, we all want that kind of faith that compels us to put everything on the line for him. Like just to lay it all down in front of him and say, here I am, God. Like I don't understand why I'm going through this test. I don't understand this trial right now, but here I am. I'm just laying it all down before you and I want my life to count for you whether it's who we date or who we marry or how we treat our spouse or how we spend our money or when we retire or how we spend our retirement or how we leverage our job for the Lord or the university we choose to go to or how we spend to, choose to spend our summers or taking care of widows and orphans or that risk that God is putting in front of us to do. I mean, it could be anything within your life. How do you have the kind of faith in your life, this kind of fear of God within your life that allows you to take all of that, all of your life, and filter it through this grid of all-in surrender. And how do you do that? Good news is that the Bible is teaching us right here how we do that. You do it when day by day, decision by decision, trial by trial, test by test, you believe that God is everything. See, that's what this passage is teaching us here. God is everything. When you believe that no matter what situation you're facing, no matter how far gone it seems, no matter what your needs may be, God truly is everything that you need. That he is Elohim. He is the creator and the sustainer. He is sovereign over everything. That he is Yahweh. He's this promise-making, covenant-keeping God who loves his people with an everlasting love that will never be broken. That he truly is Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord who sees every single need that we have and he will provide in his perfect provision for every single need. I mean, just think about this. It doesn't matter what you're going through right now. The Lord sees what you are dealing with. He sees what you are going through. He knows what you're going through, and he will provide. Listen to what Hebrews 11 says about Abraham. Hebrews 11, this hall of faith, verses 17 to 19, it's talking specifically about this moment here in Genesis 22. Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, 
offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. So he's right in the middle of what's happening here in Genesis 22. Of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Like, that is outstanding. Like, just think about what is being said here. He is saying, in the middle of this circumstance, in the middle of this test, what I need right now is God. What I need in the middle of this test is God, who is everything to me. I mean, think about what Abraham's going through here. Isaac is laid down on the altar. He's tied up. He's not going anywhere. Like, this looks to be over. over. Abraham has the knife to his throat. Isaac is as good as dead. And the Bible says that in that moment, Abraham is thinking, what I need is the God who, if he is asking me to do this, is the same God who is able to raise him from the dead. The same God who is able to take the son of the promise that I am about to sacrifice. And if I sacrifice him so completely, so thoroughly, so that it's almost as if there is no evidence that he was ever alive, that God then is able to raise him from the dead. That God somehow in his perfection is able to give me what I need in the middle of my trial, in the middle of my test, so that he is glorified because he has provided for himself. The same is true for us. What we need is the God who, if he has allowed this test into my life, which he sovereignly has, he's sovereignly done that for you. What we need is the God who is able to bring hope to a circumstance that looks completely lost. But how do we do that? I mean, how do we give everything to God in the midst of that? It's when you trust in the God who has given everything for you. And see, that is the point of Genesis 22. This is so much more than just a helpful story about how to have faith in God when life is hard. This is ultimately the story of how God has provided a substitute for his people. I mean, just think for a minute about how the Israelites would have heard this story for the very first time. Moses wrote the book of Genesis, and Moses lived long after Abraham and Isaac lived and died. But Moses may be telling the story for the first time to the Israelites who are wandering through the wilderness, and there would have been so many lessons that would have been so helpful for them to learn about Abraham's experience and his example of faith in a hard time. But even more than that, they're listening to this story maybe for the first time and they hear about Isaac and they think to themselves, that's us. Like Isaac represents us. Because they're hearing the story and they're thinking to themselves, if Isaac dies on the altar, then we die with him. There is no nation, there is no people, there is no land, there is no blessing. They're listening to this and they're thinking to themselves, Isaac's life is hanging in the balance, but then God in his grace, in his mercy, stepped in at just the right time and he provided a substitute. So get this, they're listening to this and they're thinking, God did this so that Isaac could live and now so we can live. God did this. Creator, the sustainer, the sovereign over all, the God who is a promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God who loves us so much, the God who sees every single need that we have and will provide. God has done this. 
And this is the same God who, before time began, determined that he would provide for himself a lamb for the offering. And the lamb would be his son, his only son, whom he loves. And his son would carry the wood for his own altar up to the mountain to the place where he would be sacrificed. God would provide that lamb not simply for you and I, but he would provide that lamb first and foremost for himself to satisfy the full measure of his holiness and justice against our sins so that when he saves us from our sins and when he gives us faith to believe in Jesus Christ, we take no credit, we take no glory for ourselves. All of the glory then is given completely and totally to God and to God alone. The difference is that where God stepped in and told Abraham not to sacrifice Isaac, God, in his goodness, allowed his son to walk the full distance to the cross, and that time he did not step in to stop it. He allowed the full measure of his wrath and his judgment against our sins to be poured out on his son instead of that being poured out upon us. I mean, just think about this, loved ones. Think deeply about this. Elohim, the creator, sustainer, sovereign God. Yahweh, the the promise-making, covenant-keeping God who loves his people. Jehovah Jireh, the, the Lord who sees my need and will provide, he has done this. He has written this beautiful, amazing, glorious, eternal story of salvation. So here's what Romans 8, 31 and 32 says. Hear this and let the truth of this draw your heart to God in worship. Romans 8, 31 says, what then shall we say to these things? And if God is for us, who can be against us? Here it is, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all as our substitute. See, just try to think of how the people of Israel would hear this story. That first generation may have thought immediately of the Passover where God commanded the people to Uh, to give an unblemished lamb to be sacrificed in their place so that they could live. And then generations later, as people heard the story again, they would think of the similar sacrifices that were offered in the temple and in the tabernacle where the sacrifice would be given to atone for their sins so that they could live. And then future generations still would hear this story again after Jesus has died on the cross. They would hear the story of Abraham and Isaac and they would realize that God in his grace has already come and he has made the sacrifice for us. Because we are all sinners and our sin has separated us from this holy God and we need to be made right with him. And though we deserve to die on our own altar for our own sins, God gave the perfect sacrifice to be made in our place. That God gave his only son whom he loved as the lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world so that we could live. I mean, this, friends, this is the gospel according to Genesis 22. That just as Israel would hear this story and be assured that God would provide for their redemption, so we hear this story and our attention is drawn to the cross where we are reminded again that we have the very same assurance that God loves us and he has made a way for redemption for us. That's the message of the cross. God has written this beautiful, glorious, eternal story of redemption because he loves us. So there's the promise of a son, which leads to the problem of a father, which is solved by the provision of a substitute, and then culminates in this final thread, number four, the preservation of a mission. Notice verse 15. 
And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. So in these final verses, God is affirming, he is preserving the promise and the mission that he already gave to Abraham back in chapters 12 and 15 and 17. But just think for a minute about the implications of this for us. The reason that Abraham is in this position to be blessed is because he feared God. He had the kind of faith that compelled him to lay everything down on the line before God, to give it all back to God, to trust him completely for every single need that he had. We saw last week in Genesis 15 that Abraham at that point could have trusted in the material possessions of the world to get him through, could have trusted in his own wisdom to win the day. I mean, here in this passage, he could have trusted in his own strength just to power through the situation. But the single thing that God points out that made the difference was that Abraham feared God. And because he feared God above everything else, God multiplied blessing through his life. I mean, you got to understand, this is not this prosperity gospel garbage that, that just ends with you need to believe God more so that God gives you more and more and more and more, right? Because that's where that ends. That's where prosperity gospel ends. You just collect more and more. You pile up more and more and more for yourself. And that's where it stops. It doesn't go anywhere beyond that. That's not what we're talking about here. That's no gospel at all. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the gospel of God that says for us that we live for Jesus because Jesus died for us. So filter that through what you're going through right now. Filter that through the tests that you've been through in your life or, or the test maybe that could be coming up in your life. Let me ask you three questions. Number one, what is it in your life that you fear more than you fear God? And think about that. What is it in your life? Like, have you really taken time to think deeply about what it is in your life that you fear more than you fear God? Number two, are you willing to lay that down on the altar before God and say, here I am. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. Are you willing to lay that down on the altar before him and say, God, here I am. Here's my life. And then this. Are you willing to trust God to provide what you need so that his blessing then will be multiplied through you? Are you willing to trust God to give you everything that you need so that his blessing will be multiplied through you? God said to Abraham in verse 18, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So that line of blessing begins with Isaac. It's passed on down through to Jacob and then on to Joseph. But ultimately, that's fulfilled in Jesus, who Matthew 1 verse 1 says is the son of Abraham. So Jesus now has given us not only the blessing of new life in him, but he's given us this mission to go and make disciples of all the nations of the earth so that all the peoples of the earth, whether it's the person sitting next to you or it's the neighbor who lives beside you or it's the people who live in the farthest reaches of the globe who at this very moment on this very day as we're sitting here worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ have never even heard the name of Jesus before. 
to make disciples of all people so that they can hear the good news of Jesus for themselves. Listen, just as Isaac picked up the wood for his altar and he carried it to the place for his sacrifice, so did Jesus pick up his own cross and carry it to the place of his sacrifice. And now so are we today to pick up our cross, denying ourselves and following after him into the places where we sacrifice for him every single day. For whoever would save his life will lose it, Jesus says. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. See, that's fearing God. That's fearing God. Listen to what A.W. Tozer said. He says, We are often hindered from giving up treasures to the Lord out of fear for their safety. This is especially true when these treasures are loved relatives and friends. It could apply in so many different ways in our lives too beyond that, but Tozer goes on and says, "But but we need have no such fear. Our Lord came not to destroy, but to save. Everything is safe which we commit to him, and nothing is really safe which is not so committed. Think about that. Everything is safe which we commit to him. And nothing is really safe which is not so committed. That's fearing God. But it's also how our life becomes a conduit for God's blessing. Not just for ourselves, but for the joy of all of God's people around us.